So I have one goal, one goal for this series, um, and it's simply this. Hopefully we can come to a place where we can regret-proof your deathbed. And here's what I mean by that. One day you're going to be laying on a deathbed, and our goal is that you wouldn't lay there and regret. Man, I wish I would have worked it out, or I wish that we could have made it work, or I wish that I would have stayed longer, or I wish that something could have been done. What if we actually chose right now to live on purpose so that when we actually got to the future, we liked it? (laughs) What if we chose to live intentionally right now within our relationship so the five years from now, that five-year version of us, we actually like where we're going? But if I had to argue this morning, I would believe that most of us, we don't live our relationships intentionally. We just kind of live it as, you know, we get married and we just kind of hope that it works out, right? And oftentimes when you first get married, newlyweds, you'll understand this. You go into this kind of like honeymoon phase. Anybody remember the honeymoon phase in relationships? You're like, this person is everything that I thought they would be. Like, they're amazing. And then like a month goes by and your husband's like, you know what? Screw it. I'm not putting my, my underwear in the hamper anymore. And he just leaves them on the floor, right? And you're like, what has happened to this man, right? Something has gotten in to him. And all of a sudden, the honeymoon phase kind of runs out, right? And all of a sudden, you realize you're face-to-face with a person. You're like, I don't even know this person anymore, right? Who is this? This morning, what I want to do, and I felt my wife and I, we actually wrote this message together, and we felt that it was really important to start it off like this. Because I feel all the other marriage series that we've done, we've talked about the big issues, but we've never really talked about the root issues that really drive the bigger issues. And if I had to argue, most of you have problems in your relationship, but the truth is you don't even know why. (laughs) You don't know why it exists. You don't know why you're dealing with some of the things that you're dealing with. So what I want to do this morning is kind of attack the roots of that. I want to talk about your emotions, your emotions. And and listen to me, men, I, I want you to pay close attention to this. Your wife is not the only one that has emotions. Um, we, we have them as well. We just like to act macho and act like we don't, right? <laughs> we like to act like they don't really affect us. But the truth is, if we had to be honest, most of us are allowing our emotions to dictate and to drive the quality of our relationships. Now, emotions are a tricky thing because they have the ability to be wrong and right all at the same time. Unlike most things in this world that are black and white right? So most things in this world are pretty black and white. We know something is wrong. Like we know it's wrong to kill somebody, all right? That's an emotion when we feel that anger. We know that if we act out on that anger to murder somebody, that's a clear drawn line in the sand in our society that says that is wrong. But then maybe you feel the same emotion as anger. Maybe somebody harassed you, And all of a sudden you feel anger, and that would be the appropriate emotion in that situation. Or or maybe you feel anger when your wife steals your favorite coffee cup. True story, over and over and over again. Right? That's not a reason to be genuinely angry. Or maybe you have a right to fear when your spouse is in danger. That's a a good type of fear to feel, but it's wrong to allow fear to control how you interact with your spouse, right? Or maybe it's right to feel your heart race when your husband or your wife walks in the room, and it's wrong to feel your heart race when somebody else who's not your husband or your wife walks into the room. So, So here's what I'm trying to say. Emotions can be wrong and right all at the same time. Do you see where I'm going here? They're kind of multicolor. 
Like we feel anger and the emotion of anger in whatever situation it may be, it can be wrong and it can be right. And if we're not careful, what happens in relationships is we don't know how to determine what's wrong and what's right. And so when a situation arises and we're arguing with our spouse or we're arguing with a boyfriend or we're arguing with a girlfriend, what ends up happening? We go, well, you know what? I am justified to feel this right now, so I'm justified to say whatever I want. Anybody ever been there? Like you feel like this anger that I feel right now, it justifies everything that's about to come out of my mouth. And you spend the next month trying to clean up the shrapnel of like one argument. Anybody ever been there? (laughs) Like as you're saying the word, you're trying to pull them back, but it just does not happen. Before we go any further, I want you to understand if you're single in here, um, I want to speak specifically to you real quick before we move along. I want you to understand that the greatest danger is not marrying the wrong person, it's becoming the wrong person. It's not marrying the wrong person, it's you becoming the wrong person. See, that, that instant that you say, I do, whether you like it or not, that's the right person. Um, but the truth is, and there are varies of circumstances that may change that, but the greatest danger, even in marriage, is not marrying the wrong person. It is becoming the wrong person. See, here's what Claire and I have said every single time that we dive into this marriage series. It's so easy, like we're talking about emotions, and it's so easy for you to sit next to your spouse and go, you better pay attention, because we're like, when I get in the car, I'm going to question you on everything that he said, because I have a list for you when we get out of here. All right? Listen, if you're doing that, you're missing the point because this is not about your spouse. It's about you this morning. Okay? So it's so easy to hear with the ears for your spouse. Like, oh, yeah, boy, you better pay, pay attention, right? Listen, th- this is not like my, 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 my tension sometimes of doing these series is like I'm, I'm, I'm adding arrows to your arsenal, Right? That's not the intention here. I don't want you to get in the car and like slay your husband or your wife with, well, Pastor Zach said this and Pastor Zach said this. Like that's not the intention of this. We need to walk into these series going, okay, God, what is on my heart that you want to speak to me? What kind of emotions do I need to deal with this morning? So as I said, emotions are a tricky thing. But I want you to understand something. Emotions are not bad. Um, because God has emotions. We, we see this all throughout the Old Testament. We see this all throughout the New Testament, that God displays, what, great love and, a, and affection towards human beings. And then you see it in the Old Testament where he displays great anger and wrath towards human beings. So it's clear that God feels emotions. So obviously emotions are not bad because if you and I are created in the image of God, for us to say that emotions are bad would be to say that us being created in God's image would be bad. So emotions are not bad, but here's what you have to understand. There's a difference between unhealthy emotions and healthy emotions. So that's what I want to help you sort through um, this morning. So let me put it this way. It's impossible, listen to me, impossible to have healthy relationships while remaining unhealthy emotional. So it's impossible to have healthy relationships if you remain unhealthily unstable, okay, emotionally. If your emotions are unstable and they're going haywire, you're not going to have healthy relationships. My wife wrote it like this. She said, when our emotions are in a bad place, we're believing a lie. I want you to understand something. When your emotions are in a bad place, chances are you're believing a lie. 
When you're going, oh, she, she, I know she doesn't want me, or I know she thinks this about me, or I know when he goes out and he's thinking that oftentimes we're believing a lie when our emotions are in a bad place. And when our emotions are a bad place, it's so easy to believe a lie. And then it's so easy to get so far off track that ultimately what it does is it drives a wedge between us and our spouse, or our friendships, or our relationships. So the first point that I want to make this morning is simply this. Emotions are indicators, not dictators. Emotions are indicators, not dictators. Lisa Turkhurst put it like this. Emotions, they can indicate where your heart is in the moment, but that doesn't mean they have the right to dictate your behavior and boss you around. How many of you, let's just show of hands, let's just all be honest for a brief moment. How many of you have ever allowed your emotions to justify what comes out of your mouth? You better be raising both hands and feet right now, right? We've all done it. But when you feel angry or bitter towards your spouse, I want you to understand something. These emotions are pointing to something deeper inside of you that you're not dealing with. See, emotions can be a good thing, even when we feel unhealthy things, because what is it? It's an indicator of going, oh, something is wrong in my soul. There's something like blinking out at me right now that I'm actually not dealing with. There's something that you've suppressed. Now, I want you to understand something. Like, it is human, innately human to feel things. And because we feel emotions, because we feel sadness and anger and rage, towards other people, oftentimes the reason that we blow up is because we hate feeling pain. So we do everything that we can to suppress the pain. It's kind of like this whole mentality, oh, it's just out of sight, out of mind, right? As long as I don't talk about it, or as long as my wife and I don't discuss the finances, or as long as we don't discuss our, 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 our anger towards our sexual lives or whatever it is, then we just, it, it's just not there, right? I've explained it like this before. I remember when I first got a bank account, uh, I, was, I think I was about 16, 17 years old, and I had a debit card, and I was like, oh my God, I can buy anything I want with this card. But I didn't realize that you had to have money in the account, right? Like, it's just everywhere I go, it works. I remember as I got older, it was kind of out, well, as long as I just don't check the damage that I've done to my checking account, like, I'm fine, I'm in a great mood, and then the moment I get online, I'm like, ah! It changes my mood, Right? So oftentimes, what do we do? We kind of out of sight, out of mind, so we don't discuss things with our spouse. We don't discuss things with our partner. Well, as long as we don't talk about it, then we just don't have to deal with it, right? But what we don't realize is those emotions are actually determining the way that we're treating our spouse. So the reason that you've got to deal with your emotions this morning is because the quality and longevity of your relationships determine where you're going to go. See, if you're emotionally unhealthy chances are you're probably not going to make it. I don't know if you know this, but the statistic, the divorce rate, it's a 50-50 chance, a one in two chance that you stay married. And here's the sad part. Even within Christianity, it's not any different. Like within the church, it's not any different. And, 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 and get me on this. I'm not here to say, you know, if you've made a mistake or, you know, you've had a past issue or you've been divorced, I'm not here to shame you or anything like that. I believe that God gives us second chances. I just want you to know whatever relationship that you're in right now, whatever covenant that you're in right now, in this very moment, that matters to you and God. That it matters. And some of you are going, well, you don't understand my husband. 
You don't, you don't know my wife. Listen to me. God has a purpose and plan for every single thing. And so the reason you're with the person right now, there's a purpose for it. There's a reason for it. And the reason that you feel so much tension is probably because there's emotions that you're suppressing and there's emotions that you're not dealing with. And there's probably conversations that you're not having with your significant other because you're scared to have them for how it may go or what it may look like. But here's what I've learned. Suppressing your emotions and pushing them down, hoping that you don't feel pain, it turns you into a person that you won't like and your spouse won't like. You ever ask yourself, you wake up in the morning and go, man, why in the world was I so mean? Or why was I so rude? Like, why did I do that? And oftentimes it's because there's just so much stuff stuffed down in there that we're not dealing with it. So the reason that I say emotions are indicators, not dictators, emotions are like the blinking light in your car. You know the blinking orange light that says check engine? Like you might want to get to a mechanic shop pretty soon. And what happens? We all do it, right? We see the light and we go, ah, I got a few more days before I need to go, right? I'll just wait till the next paycheck. And then what, what ends up happening? Oh, the, well, two weeks go by, three weeks go by. And that blinking light is there to remind you every single time that you start the ignition and you see that little blinking light. It says, idiot, you better go to the mechanic shop soon or something's going to go wrong. Well, what, here's what happens. All of a sudden, if you ignore that light, For so long, it just becomes a part of the car that you forget about the blinking light. All of a sudden, that blinking light becomes something that to you in your your mind is just, it's not even there anymore. Until one day, you're driving down the road and there's smoke billowing out of your engine. You begin to realize, oh wow, it's been six months since that light has been blinking. See, your emotions are just like that. See, when you feel that anger, when you feel that bitterness towards your spouse, it's actually your body, like a God-given design that God has given us something inside to go, something is wrong here. And if you don't deal with it, what happens? Well, six months pass down the road, and finally, when you finally get in an argument, nothing gets solved because you just blow up, right? And all of a sudden, you have this emotional conversation. You're like, told him, right? Right? And nothing gets resolved. Nothing gets resolved because we've been pushing it down there and we've been ignoring the blinking engine light. See, some of us in our relationships right now, we're like, we're in engine failure. <laughs> that blinking light has been going on for like five years, six years, seven years. Do, do you know this, that God actually desires for you to live happy and joyful in your relationships? And some of us, I see it all the time, especially within Christianity, we're like, well, I'm not going to get a divorce, but I mean, geez, this sucks. Like, I'm just in this relationship, and we're just kind of in it, and that's all it ever is. Like, God wants you to be more than roommates <laughs> that share a roof. He actually wants you to like each other, love each other, care about each other. And the reason that you can't get to that point is because we're not dealing with emotions. We're suppressing We're pushing down. It's too painful to talk about it. So maybe there's some bitterness. Maybe there's some anger. Maybe there's some lust. Maybe there's some things when you go home today that we need to start having a conversation about. So I want to give you four practical things. And um, 
If you, if you know my wife, this is, this is totally her. So she helped me write this part. I, I'm, I, I, like to, I like to explain the why my wife is like, but how are we going to do that, right? Um, and so thank God for her. But we came up with these four different things. So when you feel like you're at a place, you're going, okay, Pastor Zach, I get it. I understand. I've got the blinking light going on. I've got some emotions. I've got some bitterness. I've got some anger. I've got some frustration. I've got some things against my spouse. So now what do I do? Now what do I do? So I want to give you just four practical things. I'll give them to you real quick, and then I'm going to explain them. Here's four things you need to do. You need to pause, you need to process, you need to pray, and you need to partner with somebody. Pause, process, pray, and partner. So let me talk about those things. When you get in an argument, or you're about to talk about something emotional that you're dealing with, the best thing, the first thing that you should do is you should pause. How many of you know, have you ever gotten in, like they walk, your husband walks in from work or your wife walks in from work and you've been stewing all day and you're finally like, I'm just going to let him have it. Boom, and it blows up, right? You didn't pause, you didn't process anything, you didn't think about anything. You just like, you let the cat out of the bag way too fast. Here's what I've learned. When I'm super emotional, when I'm frustrated, when I'm angry, when I feel like um, my wife's not meeting my expectations or whatever it is, the first thing that I've got to learn to do is I've got to pause. And here's why you got to pause. you got to pause so you don't do something that you regret later on. You pause so you can have a moment that will lead you to step two, which is process. But I want you to, let me, let me back up to, to pause to point one. I want you to remember you pause because you can remember in this pausing that your spouse is not the enemy. And here's what we've done emotionally for a lot of us. Our spouse becomes the enemy. And rather than fighting with each other, we're fighting against each other. And we're going, well, if they would just do what I asked them to do, then we would have no problems, right? But God's always putting the finger back at you, but what do you need to do? I know you got 10 reasons of, of 10 different things that you want to change in your spouse, but here's what I've learned over time. My wife can nag me all day, every day, about 10 different things. And I can do the same for her all day, every single day. But until God works on my heart, nothing is changing. And she can bring me the list. She can repeat it every single day. I'm just stubborn enough to go like, I'm, I'm just not doing it, right? Unless God starts speaking to my heart. So you have to remember that your spouse is not the enemy. Ephesians 6.12 puts it like this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So what is this a reminder of? Men, that your spouse is not your enemy. You're not, they're not the person that you're actually fighting against. That there is actually a real spiritual force and spiritual darkness out there that is doing everything that it can to destroy your relationships. But unless you pause, you're not going to remember that. If you just dive right in emotionally to the argument or dive right into trying to fix the problem, you're going to fight with your spouse and you're going to think, I'm right, they're wrong, they're the enemy, and until I win this battle, nothing is going to change. So you pause and then you move to point two, which is simply you process. Because here's the thing. If you're dealing with emotions... You need to process it because the truth is you probably don't even know what's bothering you. Men, how many of you have ever done this before? You look at your wife and you say, babe, like what's bothering you? I have no idea. 
What do you mean you have no idea? Like, just tell me what is bothering you. And it could be a range of things. She could be frustrated. She could be bitter. She could be angry. She could be mad. Whatever it may be. What my wife and I have had to learn to do, we've had to learn to process because oftentimes we'll be mad at each other and we don't even know why we're mad at each other. Let me give you a perfect example of this. How many of you have ever gotten an argument and then all of a sudden, like 30 minutes down the road, you don't even know what you're arguing about anymore, but you're like, I'm still going to win this argument, <laughs> right? I forgot what the topic was about and what we were even arguing about, but I am going to win. See, when we don't process what we're actually feeling, we go into discussion and conversation that, that actually goes nowhere. And I beg to differ in those arguments, if you're not processing, you don't even know what you're feeling. See, Jeremiah puts it like this, 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Here's what God's saying to Jeremiah. He said, listen, you don't even understand your own heart. You don't even know what's going on inside of here half of the time. And you're asking your spouse to try to figure it out. You don't even know. So that's why we have to pause. We have to process and go, okay, what am I feeling right now? Am I angry? Am I sad? Am I disappointed? What is it? You have to ask yourself this question. What is my self-talk saying right now? Meaning this, how many of you guys talk to yourself? You ever practice the argument in your head? You ever rehearse it? Oh, if she says this, then I'm going to say this. Well, if he says this, then I'm going to come out with this. In that moment, what is your self-talk saying? What are you saying to yourself? And if you're usually saying things like, oh man, I just, I just, I need to be right. I just got to prove this point. If I could just prove this point and they could just get with me on this point, then everything would be fine. And usually if you're right there, you're not at a healthy place. So if you're talking to yourself and you're not getting anywhere and, and your self-talk is just saying, defend, 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 defend you're probably believing something unhealthy. Or put it this way, what lie is breeding in your head? What lie is breeding in your head in that moment? What are you starting to believe? Is it a lie of like, I'm never understood? I can't trust people. Or I'm not worthy or I'm not enough. What lie is breeding in your head? And if it is a lie that's breeding in your head, here's what you have to understand. That is not from God. That's not from God. So what we have to do is when our emotions are in an unhealthy place, we have to recognize that we're most likely believing a lie about ourselves. And so if we think that we can go into conversation with our spouse and have a healthy conversation, we're believing and justifying things out of a lie. We're not going to get anything accomplished. So this is why you have to process what's truly going on in your heart. And can I tell you this for all of you impatient people? Sometimes processing things takes time. And here's what you have to learn how to do in a relationship. You have to look at your spouse and you got to go, and men, often it helps if you're the one leading this. You have to look at your spouse and say, hey, listen, we're not going anywhere. So let's just pause. I need to process some things. I need you to process some things. Now, here's what you can't do. Your processing can't turn into weeks without communication. Because now you're under the assumption of like, I mean, are they still processing? 
Well, if he's a man, he's probably just forgotten about it and he doesn't care about it anymore. <laughs> right? So here's what you got to do. you got to communicate. So you wake up in the morning and that day has passed by and you just wake up and you tell your wife, hey, babe, I know we haven't reached a solution on this point yet, but I'm still processing. I'm still praying through it. I'm still thinking about it. But I want you to let you know I have not forgotten about it. You know what that does to your partner? <sighs> Weight lifted. At least you're thinking about it and we're going to get to a solution. When you don't communicate, what ends up happening? What you're doing is now you're creating bitterness in that person. They don't care. They don't care. They don't care about the conversation that we had last night. They don't care about, I just spewed my heart out to them, and now they're saying nothing, and they don't care. So the processing, it may take a day. It may take three days, but in that processing, you have to communicate to your spouse where you're at. Here's where I'm at. Then we move to point three. We've got to pray. Because here's what you've got to do. We've got to align our emotions with God's truth. Okay, how does what I'm feeling line up with God's word? Well, if I'm believing right now that I'm not enough and he'll never understand and he never gets me, that's probably a lie. How does that line up with what God says about me? And see, if you can pause, if you can process, and you can pray, then what you do is you take the lies that you're believing, the emotional state that you're in, and you lay that before God, and you filter it before what God actually thinks. By the time you go to now have a conversation with your spouse, what are you doing? You're having a healthy conversation. And this leads me to the last point. This means to partner. Number four, partner. Now, I mean that literally. <laughs> Literally find a godly partner. Literally find a godly partner. So men, every man needs a, another man in their life to go, hey, listen, man, I've paused about this. I've prayed about this. I've processed this. Can you just tell me what you think about this? Here's where we're at. Here's what I'm going through. Can you just try to help me determine what lies I'm believing? Now, let me clarify this. Men with men, women with women. And I know sometimes, like, uh, we shouldn't have to say that, but sometimes I don't know what it is. We get that in our brain. It's like, well, she's a godly woman. I'll just process and partner with her. Wrong answer. <laughs> and listen, when you're doing this, when you get a partner, you have to be very intentional about this. You're talking about your issues, not your spouse's. You have to be very careful with that. Because we can get down and we can sit down with somebody and say, let me tell you about my wife. And it becomes this gossip chain, and that's unhealthy. So you have to sit down, and when you're partnering with somebody else, you got to go, hey, listen, this is what's going on in my heart. This is what I'm believing. This is what I'm thinking. This is what's going on with me. Can you help me process and pray through what's going on with me? Remember, it's easy to talk about somebody else. But the indicator light, the arrow, is always shining back at us. To put it another way, the issues that you're facing in your marriage, in your dating relationship, whatever it may be, it's always you, not the other person. That's how you have to look at it. It's always you, not the other person. Because if you're always looking at it, well, it's the other person, then guess what? God never gets to deal with you. And ultimately, you get prideful and you get to a place where you're arrogant and you get to a place where you go, yeah, it's always them. And every time there's a problem, you're trying to sort through them and you never focus on yourself. But just remember this, when your emotions are in a bad place, we're believing a lie. 
And the only way oftentimes, the reason we added that fourth step of partner, the only way sometimes to uncover the lie and to deal with the lie is to invite an outside source into that. Can I tell you something? Um, My wife and I, actually this month, will be married 10 years. And, yeah, you can clap for that. 10 years. We'll be married 10 years in uh, the end of February. And my marriage has significantly changed starting at the, 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 uh, the beginning of last year. I'm not saying we've had a bad marriage. We've had a, a good marriage. But it's got markedly better, watch this, ever since we started allowing other people to speak into it. I was scared to death to allow somebody else from the outside to come in and to evaluate our marriage. Why? Because I thought that I was just going to get ripped to shreds, right? Because my wife is like an angel. And so I didn't, I didn't want to bring somebody else in. And I remember we, there was a few things that we just kept arguing about over and over and over and over again. And there was never a solution. And finally, it dawned on both of us, man, if we can't work this out ourselves, we'll be going around for this for nine years. I don't think we're going to figure it out on our own. So you know what we had to do? We had to swallow our pride. We had to humble ourselves. And we literally, just for the sake of trying to have a better marriage, we said, let's go sit down with the counselor and let's just talk about this. And the first time that we sat down, it was so awkward. She's like, okay, so tell me. I'm like, well, she's a demon. That's all I know. You know, I mean, I'm pretty sure she's possessed with something. Um, So if we can just cast it out of her real quick, it'll be good. I'm an angel. I mean, there's nothing wrong with me, right? That's not what happened. It's probably the other way around. Um, But we sat down, and it it took some time to get comfortable with it. It took some time to get used to it. And all of a sudden... You have this other person who's not emotionally attached in the relationship. And they could just look at us and say, hey, Zach, you're believing a lie in that. Hey, Claire, you're believing a lie in that. Hey, when when Claire does that, she's not actually meaning to try to hurt you. She's just trying to communicate with you. And all of a sudden, it literally changed the dynamic of our relationship with us literally partnering with somebody else. This is why life groups are so important. Every man and every woman in here needs to find another, and I specify that, godly man or godly woman who is further along in the relationship with Jesus than you are. Young people, you know what one of the best things that you can do? One of the best things that you can do is you find a married couple who's been, who's been married longer than at least 10 years, and you look at them and you go, man, we need to go to dinner with them and we need to figure out how they got there. I want to ask them questions. I want to know how they got to the place that they're at right now. Because I promise you this, on the outside, you look at their relationship, you're like, oh, look how perfect. They have issues just like you do. But they're 10 years down the road, they're 20 years down the road. And you can look at them and say, man, when you got to this spot, how did you deal with that? And when you got to this spot, how did you deal with that? So remember, emotions are indicators They're the blinking light, but they should not be dictators. We should not be driven by them. I sat down with, um, many of you know her, she's been on her stage before, Jennifer, and she's a a licensed counselor, and she counsels marriages. I mean, Claire and I do a lot of counseling, but she does it for a living, like way more than we do. And she said this, and I thought it was so uh, remarkable. She said, I'm actually convinced 
that marriages don't end for the reasons that many people say that they do. Marriages don't end because of affairs. Marriages don't end because of finances. Or marriages don't end because of sex. And we say that those are the main reasons, right? Affairs, sexual things, uh, finances. Those are usually the reasons that marriages end. Here's the sad part. All three of those things can be worked through and fixed if you're willing to go through the journey. The reason marriages end is because we're not actually committed to the commitment that we made to God and to the other. And instead of our commitment driving our relationships, our emotions drive. I don't know if you know this, but it's easy to fall in love and it's so easy to fall out of love. And if we're not committed to the commitment that we made to God first and to the person that we're sitting next to or married to, it's not going to last. And most of us, here's what happens. We're committed to our emotions. Well, if I feel good today and I, and I feel like they're attractive or they made me feel good today, well, then I'm in. Well, as long as those feelings are there, then, man, you're bought in, right? When they start fading, what happens? Now you've got nothing to grab onto, and you've got nothing to anchor to, which leads me to the second point. You'll remember this one. Commitment drives and emotions ride shotgun. (laughs) Commitment drives and emotions ride shotgun. Listen, your emotions are always going to follow you. They're always going to be there. You can't get rid of them. As I said in the beginning, it's a part of who God made you to be. But in marriages, oftentimes we flip it. Emotions are driving and commitment rides shotgun. I'll be committed to you as long as I feel this way. Right? That's why I titled this message, Commitment Over Emotions. So we've got to reverse the roles. Commitment has to be driving and and, and emotions are riding in the passenger seat. I want you to understand something. Our security is found in God's commitment to us, isn't it? The reason that we can be secure in a relationship with Jesus is because he's committed to us. Imagine for a moment if God was committed only emotionally to us. Just imagine that for a moment. I'll stay committed to you as long as you're good as long as you're lovable, but as soon as you become a heathen or a demon, I'm out, right? Imagine if God was committed to us emotionally, but here's the good news. He's not. God is committed to us based on the commitment that he made to us, not based off of his emotions. Let me prove it to you in scripture. Hebrews 13, four through six. It says, let marriage be held in honor among all, And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Just keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said. Now watch this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do? Let me explain the context of this verse. The first two verses before that, when he said, you know, let the marriage bed be undefiled, don't worry about your money. He's saying all these things. All those things are going to shift and change constantly. One day you may wake up and you may feel like loving your wife today, and the next day you may wake up and you don't feel like loving her at all. But he's saying, listen, rest in this one thing. Regardless of how your finances go, regardless of how your marriages go, just rest in this. Love me based off of me first loving you. Love me based on I am committed to you no matter what. There's a Hebrew word that I think I've used at every marriage series, but I can't get away from it. It's a Hebrew word called ahava, and it means a love of the will. 
And it simply means this, if you were to translate it, it simply means I'm loving you even though I've seen the ugly side of you, but I'm not going anywhere. How many of you know marriage reveals the ugly side of you? It reveals the side of you that you try to conceal and hide from most of your friends, right? But your spouse often sees it, your husband sees it, your wife sees it. But here's what God is saying, listen, I am committed to you no matter what. I will never leave you nor forsake you, no matter what. So what I would say to you today, that is the position that we've got to move into in our relationships. That we're committed to our spouse based on the commitment we made to God first and the commitment that we made to each other. Not based on how we feel. But here's the problem. When something significant happens in the context of your marriage or your relationships, it quickly changes your emotional state, doesn't it? So you can say, look, I get it. I'm committed, but I can't trust them anymore. Or they lie to me. Or our sexual life isn't what I would like it to be. Or there's jealousy or there's money issues. So when something significant happens in your marriage, what does it do? It quickly changes your emotional state. So here's what I want you to understand. How you feel right now, that's the little picture. That is the little picture. But our commitment to our spouse and to God first, that's the big picture. See, commitment should trump emotions every single time. How you feel in this moment right now, that's the little picture. It's only a slice of where the relationship is at. But your commitment to God and to your spouse, that is the big picture. See, if we were going to take this into the context of our relationship with Jesus, we would understand that our sacrifice and our service to God flow out of he first loved us, right? So if you're in a healthy relationship with Jesus, you'll understand we don't serve God because we have to. We don't serve God because it's a robotic thing to do and God demands it. Why? For me, I I serve God ultimately because I realize how wicked I used to be. And God still chose me when I was a sinner, when I was wicked, when I was doing things that I regretted. And God said, okay, today, Zach, I'm choosing to save you. Wait, me? (laughs) Why? Like, what did I do to deserve that? And so this love that I have for Jesus, what? It flows out of, man, this Jesus loved me first. So in turn, I serve him. Why? Because I want to, not because I have to. Here's what I want you to understand. If you stay committed to God and you stay committed to your spouse, even though you don't feel it, if you stay in a lasting commitment, ready and willing to work it out, your emotions will eventually catch up with your commitment. It will eventually catch up. Now, now here's the problem. Sometimes there's a lag in the emotions. Sometimes you're going, man, I've been committed, but I'm not feeling anything. Sometimes there is a lag. But when there is that lag, when you're going, I'm committed and I'm not feeling anything, you've got to keep fighting. You've got to keep pressing forward. You've got to pray. You've got to process you got to pause, you got to partner with somebody else, and you keep doing that over and over and over and over again. And if you do that, if you keep fighting, 
eventually your emotions will match your commitment. And let me prove that to you in 2 Timothy 4.7. This is Paul talking. This is Paul towards the end of his life, and he says, Man, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Like That is my prayer for our marriages, for our relationships. You can look back on your life and in your relationships, and you go, did we go through rocky times? Absolutely. But guess what? We never gave up fighting. We stayed committed to each other. We remained faithful. And then watch this, verse 8. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. I want you to understand something. You fighting for your marriage is pleasing to God. The only reason that Paul could say, I finished the race well, the only reason that he can say, I crossed the finish line, is one reason only. He continued fighting. I'm absolutely positive that Paul at certain times felt a lag in his emotions. But he stayed committed. I'm sure there was times when he was beaten and thrown in a jail cell. He's going, okay, God, where are you now? Because I don't feel any love towards you. I'm sure his emotions weren't there. I'm, I'm sure as he's getting locked behind the jail cell, there's anger, right? I mean, I know if it was me, I'd be like, God, I mean, don't you see everything that I'm doing for you? And this is what I get? Like, I'm spreading the good news and I get beaten. I get locked in prison. You get dragged out to a city, murdered, killed. And then you resurrect me and bring me back to life so I can go do it all over again. Yeah, sign me up. (laughs) I'm sure there was a lag in his emotions. I'm sure there was a lag in his feelings. The reason that Paul stayed faithful is because he, he anchored himself to the commitment, not how he felt in the moment. See, your fighting, that's what gets you to the finish line. So I want to ask you a question as I bring this to a close. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get to the finish line? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? And and here's what I'm going to tell you. There's going to be pieces that are going to be difficult. There's going to be pieces that are going to be less than ideal. There's going to be pieces that's going to be painful. There's going to be pieces that you're going to have to deal with that's going to be hard. There's going to be emotions that you're going to have to deal with that you haven't dealt with in a long time. But I can tell you this. The pain of you having to go through the process is so much better than the pain that you feel right now. Because listen, the pain of the process is only temporary, but if you choose not to deal with it, that is a pain that you experience the rest of your life. And here's what God would say to you today, man, I have a better way. I have a better plan for your relationship. I've got a better thing for you. Like, God actually wants joy. He wants you to be at peace in your relationship. You know, there's this famous passage in in Revelations where Jesus is telling the church, he says, there's only one thing. He said, you've done everything well. Man, you've built a good church. You've got people coming. But he says, I have one thing against you. He says, you've fallen out of love with your first love. You forgot why you do what you do. You got the systems down. You got the structure down. You got the building. You got the people in it. But there's no passion. 
And I, I would argue that today that's where a lot of us find ourselves in marriages. We're in it. But we've forgotten why we got into it in the first place. Why? Because you genuinely like the person that you're with. Can I take you back to dating for a moment? Do you remember when you would do absolutely anything for that person? I remember countless nights, my wife and I, when we were dating, I was in college and she was living in Jennings and about an hour away. And I remember like having a test the next morning and still being on the phone at three thinking, I'm going to regret this in the morning, right? But there's something inside of you like, no, I'm trying to win her heart, so I'm going to do whatever it takes to get her, right? I remember countless, countless days when we were engaged and we weren't living together yet and we're engaged and she would come in and we, they had this Albertsons parking lot right off of I-10 and we would park her car there and make out. Your pastor did that. <laughs> we would do those things and why do you do that kind of stuff? Why? Because you're trying to go, man, I care about this person so much that I want to win them over. I want them to know that they're mine. And here's what happens. We, we get into those emotions so deeply and we get married and we go, I got them. Now I can give up. <laughs> now I can just pull back. And so here's all God wants to do this morning. Maybe he just wants to reignite some things in you. But I want you to understand it's going to start with you getting into a healthy place emotionally. It's got to start with you getting into this headspace of going, okay, what do I need to start dealing with? I need to start dealing with the bitterness. Maybe your spouse did something to you and, and you keep telling yourself you've dealt with it, but we all know you haven't. We keep telling ourselves, well, as long as we just don't talk about it, we can just go distance and maybe five years will go by and we'll just forget about it, right? It doesn't work that way. God has a better process for you. And, and listen, this is why life groups are so, so, so important. Because the truth is, I believe one day when you get to heaven, you're not going to cross the finish line alone. You're not going to cross the finish line alone. You're going to cross the finish line and you're going to look and you're going to see all the people, all the people that help you get to that place. And you see that guy that looked at you and said, when you were ready to give up, right? When you were ready to call it quits, when you looked at the relationship and you said, no, done, done, I've got nothing left. And you had another friend that calls you and says, no, what? there's more in you. Let's keep going. Let's do it. And it was only because of that that you were able to get to the finish line. So I want to close with this. I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to do those four things. I want to encourage you to pause. I want to encourage you to process. I want to encourage you to pray. And then I want to encourage you to partner. I want to encourage you to do that this week. When you find yourself in an argument, you go, whoa, time out. Let's think more deeply about this. And I want to encourage you, if you have not yet signed up for a life group, it's so easy to do it. All you do is you go to occonnect.com, our website. You click find a group, and there's a list of groups that you can get in. 